Chris, welcome. Welcome to the roadmap. Thank you. Great to be here. Uh, so how, how are you? How's Florida doing? Is it, is it still hot? <laughs> well, we're getting into the, the winter season here now, so it's actually getting quite comfortable. Uh, so yeah, this, if you're going to visit Florida, now's the time to do it. Okay. Uh, we're going to talk today about angel investors and startups. So before we start, can you give a little bit about yourself, about your background and experience as a, as an angel investor? So I started doing angel investing. It's been quite a while, actually back in the 1990s. Uh, at that time I was running my own software development company. And some of the startups that approached us didn't have the necessary capital to pay for the software development they needed. So I would co-invest alongside, you know, the companies and, and their other investors and use my resources and cash to help get them to product and, and product launch. Um, after that, uh, approximately 10 years ago, I've spent most of my time now uh, making angel investments and advising startups on, on how to succeed from the very earliest of stages to uh, the point where they're generating sufficient revenue to be self-sustained. Okay, so you're quite experienced. You started in the 1990s, which is really, really early, you know, before when software was really young. But, you know, let's, let's talk about the last decade. What, in what ways has the software startup environment transformed in the last 10 years? What, what do you think are the most interesting things that are happening right now or in the past decade? Yeah, there, there's a lot of things, both both good and bad. Um, first of all, you know the the presence of the internet and the the uh, websites and and uh, social media makes it possible for people to reach each other. There are a lot of websites out there dedicated to connecting founders and and engineers and developers. The earliest one being, of course, AngelList. Uh, the advantage that gives you is you can assemble a team uh, relatively. I don't want to say easily, but certainly a lot easier than it used to be uh, by using these these resources. So that's that's a plus. The ability to you know pull together you know people and necessary resources is one of the things that's improved. Another thing is the availability of of open source software. There are large components out there that can be used to basically uh, you know shorten the development cycle of a lot of different approaches and and software products that can be created. Uh, that has helped tremendously as well. On the downside, early capital is becoming more and more difficult to get. Uh, as uh, venture capitalists and angel investors move further and further along the, uh, the arc of a venture as to when they decide they want to get in, getting capital prior to having a product and revenue is very, very difficult. And that's a challenge that's come up over the last decade as well that you know, new founders and, and new ventures are facing. So it's quite difficult to stand out. So you really need to have a good product to make it into the market. Well, it's more than a good product. There are a number of factors that do come into play when you're, uh, you know, looking to start something. And uh, you know, we can talk about that in depth maybe a little bit later. But uh, the most important factor, I think, for any any founder, any any group of people that are getting together to start something and, and will eventually need angel capital is persistence. Uh, it takes dedication. It takes faith in what you're doing to continue to work through the difficulties that you will face uh, to get a company to the point where it becomes investable. Are there any specific sectors that you find particularly promising right now? 
Uh, well, myself personally, I have a tendency to invest very, very early in new technologies. My investment from NeoTerra Capital, NeoTerra is, is new territory. In my opinion, that is where the biggest opportunities lie, uh, is in uh, working in, in areas where new technology, new markets, new ways of doing business are emerging. I mean, today that certainly encompasses metaverse, uh, artificial intelligence. Uh, there's a lot going on in the semiconductor industry with nanomaterials. Uh, so there's a lot of interesting areas out there. Although that's not to say that a company that develops a better way of doing something that most people would consider well-plowed territory can't be successful. And we're, we're well, well aware that when Google came along, uh, there were plenty of search engines out there. They just found a newer, better way to do it. And that's what made them successful. So, you know, when it comes to what I look at, it's, it's the advantages. It's the advantages that occur when new technologies, new markets, new ways of doing business arise that can be leveraged to build a truly substantial and successful venture. Right. So a couple of years ago, we had crypto, we had blockchain. Last year, we uh, saw AI you know, coming to its rise. What do you think about that? Is AI something that's a must have right now or is there, you know, should we take more time just to get to use, used to it? Yeah, that's a, that's a really good question. Um, if you look at these technologies, you know, blockchain, the metaverse, uh, going back actually to even you know, earlier cellular technology, the internet, it does take time for these things to mature and, and find their footing. In many cases, the early companies make significant missteps and uh, you know, are, are challenged by the fact that we really don't know where these things are going. When it comes to artificial intelligence, the technologies today are in a very, very early stage. We're going to be decades developing AI, uh, I think, before we get truly, truly to the point where it becomes as ubiquitous as the internet or, or cellular communications or other technologies we now consider commonplace. Um, in many cases, uh, in applications I've seen and work I've done, AI can be a tool that can enhance or improve uh, a service or a product, um, but it shouldn't be left unsupervised. Uh, you know, I, I generally see it used as uh, you know a, a tool to help you uh, make rapid progress that a person can then you know refine. Uh, inside joke in my company, artificial intelligence AI isn't really artificial intelligence; it's artificial interns. Uh, it has some basic knowledge, some basic understanding, but requires supervision, right? So there's still a lot of work regarding AI. There's lots of opportunities. We have, uh, at my firm, investments in several AI companies. We have one that is using AI to do fashion advice. We have one that's working in the mental health area. Uh, we have one that's in travel and uh, you know trip planning. There's a variety of things that AI can be used for to enhance and, and improve the work of human beings. Uh, and that's, that's where we're looking at AI right now. Is, is it, would you say it's a trend right now or is it going to boom in a couple of years? It probably will, but it might be a little bit trendy right now. Yeah, I, you know, these things go through cycles. Um, Gartner is, is famous for developing something they call the hype cycle, where new technologies are, are, are brought to market and in, in many cases, um, I don't want to say oversold, 
but there is this tend to believe that they're more mature, more capable, more useful than that they are in their early stages. And that has a tendency to drive a lot of investment and a lot of product development and a lot of experimentation in those areas. Inevitably, a lot of those, those experiments don't work out and people become disillusioned with an approach or a technology. But given more time and the ability to refine these things and improve upon the work that was done previously, they do eventually enter the mainstream. So the challenge for an investor is to figure out where you are in that cycle. Is it the early hyped stage of technology or markets, or is it you know gone through that, gone through that you know basically rebirth, and is now in that stage of long-term maturation, where it's essentially far more likely that you'll find investments that will endure. Right. Okay. So. Regarding the software industry trends, what challenges do software startups face now? Well, as I said previously, capital is, is the biggest one. They have to figure out how do you get to you know some demonstrable proof of product market fit and the fact that you can scale the organization without a lot of capital. Fortunately, one of the advantages of software in particular as, as a means of building products and services is it's a highly labor-intensive, you know, um, approach to to building a product or service, which means that if you can find people that are willing to work either for deferred compensation, or for equity, or for some other, you know, purpose uh, or fulfillment, I, I there are teams I've known that have developed millions of dollars of software simply because it's something they wanted to do. Um, if you can put together a team like that, that can get you to a demonstrable, you know, early product, what they call a, you know, minimal viable product that can show that the concepts that you are working toward are viable and that people will use and adopt what you're doing. Um, you know, today that's, that's really the approach you need to take, uh, unless you can find some, some very early form of funding and they do exist and we can talk about those if you like. All right. So. But would you say, I mean, you shouldn't focus strictly on profit. You should focus more on developing a quality product, which is going to solve an issue. Absolutely. I mean, the most important thing you can do is demonstrate that you have a product or service that addresses a need or an opportunity in a large market. That's critical. Uh, in fact, the typical venture arc of a company is to rapidly grab market share rather than get to early profitability. You know, the, the, the belief is that if you're, if you're profitable, if you're actually holding on to cash, you're misusing it. You should be using that money to further accelerate the adoption of your products and services into the market. So in general, you know, at least with the planning I do, I don't plan for a venture to be profitable until they have a significant share of the market, 10, 15, 20% of a market share. Anything less than that, you should be using that capital to fuel growth. Right. Okay. So when you're investing in a company, what specific criteria do you look when you know you're considering to invest in a software startup? Oh, I mean, there's a large number of things uh, to talk about there. There's there's approximately you know, a dozen or so factors that I would look at. Um, you know, first being are, are they addressing you know a true problem or opportunity in a market? Uh, in many cases, I've, I've and I see thousands and thousands of pitches every year, 
in many cases, there really isn't a broad problem that the entrepreneur is addressing. It's something perhaps personal to them or a small group that they see it as a problem, but it isn't large enough to truly build a venture around. So first making sure that the, the problem and opportunity is large enough. Uh, second is, you know, does their product or service well address that particular problem or market? In many cases, there's misalignment between what they're building and uh, you know what the actual problem or opportunity is. Uh, you know, this is the the typical pivots you see sometimes in companies where they start down one particular road only to discover that people use their product and service for other reasons and other purposes, and then pivot to those those types of things. Uh, Slack is a is a wonderful example of that. It's actually an internal tool that the company had developed that they found was useful. And they ended up abandoning their original product and services idea to develop Slack, which was a good move. Uh, beyond that, you know, the team is probably uh, above all the most important thing. Um, you have to have a team that is dedicated to the work that's going on, that truly believe they're going to succeed, and uh, that cover you know, a wide variety of the bases that are required to succeed in a venture. It's not just the engineering and the product development. It's understanding how to manage your money. It's understanding markets and how to you know, position products and services in those markets. It's how to sell. Uh, it's how to organize and operate your business. All of those things are important to succeeding in a venture. And in many cases, you know, I'll meet teams that are basically technical founders, but have none of the other skills. And the important thing is to have a well-balanced team. A, um, an exceptionally good team can overcome a lot of problems. And that's certainly something I look for when, when making an investment. Other factors that also come into play is, you know, who's your, who's your competition? Uh, this sometimes gets misinterpreted. Uh, startups will believe competition is another company doing something similar to what they're doing. It's not necessarily the case. It's more about, you know, when looking at the consumer, or the business, if you're a B2B play, what other things could they do other than use your product or services to solve the problem? And in many cases, that can be quite different from what you're currently doing. Um, you know, having clear advantages in the market, whether that be you know patentable technology or unique way to do things, strategic relationships, a variety of things, can put one company in a superior position over another. Uh, how to enter the market, also important. You need to find a way to get out there and get quick, rapid adoption. Uh, in many cases, there's a subset of a particular market that a particular group has a stronger pressing need for what it is that you're doing or for whatever reason is easier to get access to. Identifying those and, and knowing who they are and how you're going to approach them, very important. Financial modeling, also important. Uh, I, I see many companies come to me and all they have is revenue projections. They have no idea what they're going to spend, what they're going to spend it on, how much capital they need, when they need it. It's really important to do your financial modeling. The other thing, of course, if you're going to ask me for money, I want to know what you're going to do with it. And you know what I don't like hearing is, well, we're going to spend it on salaries. right? What I want to hear is, what are you going to accomplish with that money? What are you going to do with it that's going to get you to a position where it's clear the company has made progress and that it will become attractive to other investors to join us on this, this journey. That's critical. Uh, too many times I, I see, you know, uh, ventures come to me saying, we need money for the next 12 months, but 
no clear statement of what it is they're going to do with it. And then finally, uh, it helps to know how we're going to get our money out. In many cases, I've I've seen ventures where they have plans to you know build the company, but they haven't figured out exactly how they want to get the capital that the uh, you know investors have have made returned to them plus their plus their profits. That's critical. Um, you know, when I when I write you a check, it's not so you can start the business. It's so you can make me money, and you need to explain to me how you're going to do that. So that's that's a fairly good, you know, broad overview of, of the things I look at and consider when it comes to making an investment. Right. So quite a lot businesses don't actually or startups don't have a business plan. They just start, you know, making product all of a sudden. So how important is it just to have a business plan? It's important to have a plan. Absolutely. It, it, the plan is the map. You know, it's how you're going to get from point A to point B. Um, if you don't have a plan, you have a tendency to waste time, waste money, miss, you know, potential opportunities. Uh, you certainly don't drive yourself on a schedule as, as hard as you would if there was a plan in place where you knew you had to achieve certain things by certain dates. And of course, the plan is the metric under which, you know, we can measure how well a company is succeeding with the capital we provided to them. So planning is essential and it doesn't have to be a large formal, you know, 40 page written business plan. It can consist of a number of milestones the company is going to achieve, the key metrics that they're going to measure along the way that'll indicate progress. And yes, some really good financial modeling to show how the capital is going to be used, what's required, and you know what the company will look like uh, over the next several years as it evolves, and quite frankly, all the way through to an exit. Right. Okay, so one of the most important things for startups is to have a great idea, of course, and validating that idea. So how important are, let's say, you know, idea validation and both market user research? Yeah, I mean, those are uh, the critical things you should do before you, you really start spending time and money on something. Um, where should we start? Well, first of all, the idea. How do you know you have a good idea? Well, uh, several things you can look at to, to try and make that assessment. Um, you know, one, does it solve a large problem or does it take advantage of a large opportunity? And quantitatively by large, I mean something that, you know, could potentially go to a billion dollars in revenue or more. Um, if you get much less than that, as far as opportunity is concerned, it's difficult to fund a venture and get a reasonable return for, you know, angel investors like me and, and the venture capitalists that come after so you, you need to know that you're addressing a large enough market. Um, second thing is you've got to figure out to the best of your ability, are people willing to use the product or service you're creating and what value do they perceive in it? Um, that will help you determine how difficult it will be to sell it into the market and eventually how profitable the company can be because you can get an assessment of what someone perceives as the value of a product or service versus your cost of actually delivering that product or service. In the early days, it's difficult to get to that type of information. I mean, there's there's online resources that you can use. Obviously, you know, general internet searches will help you find some things, but then there are other services available where you can purchase information. Um, you know, there are analyst firms out there that write reports, for example, that can tell you about a market and who's in it and what the trends are in that market. 
there are online services like Crunchbase and, and PitchBook and others that can provide a lot of information about what's going on in particular sectors, and that that can be helpful. But those sources, you know, can be expensive. Another early indicator that I look for is people willing to help. One of the things I always see when there's a good opportunity is that when people become aware of it, they want to help. They want to make introductions. They want to join the team. They want to help with you know sales and marketing. There's this general sense that what they're doing is going to work out. When I don't see that, that's a concern. So that's another factor that you know I would look for to say, you know, what's given me early market validation here? Um, there are others. For example, if you're the only one doing it, if you're the only one addressing this particular problem or opportunity that you're aware of, that problem or opportunity may not need addressing. It's very rare that a singular entity or a singular you know, group of people will get together and come up with something that's so unique and so novel that no one else has thought about it. Uh, in fact, good indications that you're onto something is that other people are trying to solve that problem or take advantage of that opportunity as well. Okay, so you already mentioned that you're looking, you know, what the market share is, is the company probably going to have, you know? So in that term, are there any specific, you know, milestones or indicators, you know, that just demonstrate the software startup potential, you know, for the success in the market? Yeah, I'm, you really don't really get measurable quantitative, you know, parameters like that until they can get a product or service out there in the market. So generally I advise companies to as soon as possible, as soon as you have something that clearly provides value to the consumer, that you get it out there and see how the market reacts to it. Um, early indications are, you know, how quickly uh, people are signing up for the service or, or purchasing the product. Um, how much of your sales are occurring due to viral things, uh, simply people talking about your product or service online or referring other people to it. An example of that, uh, you know, PayPal in the very early days uh, was having some difficulty, uh, you know, bringing on customers. They eventually came up with the idea of rewarding their existing customers for bringing on additional customers, and that worked out quite well. So... You know, coming up, and this is also, as I said, part of one of the other criteria, market entry strategy, how do you get started? Um, it's important that you, you get something out there early. It's important that you promote it in such a way that it begins to gain traction. And it's important that you measure how rapidly it's being adopted in the market. Obviously, the more rapidly it's adopted, uh, the more likely you are to have something that is, is going to be successful and is fundable. Counter uh, to that, though, is people who stop using a product or service. Um, there, there are some cases where people will pick something up, use it for a while, and then drop it because they feel it's no longer adding value. If you start to see that trend in your product or service, you need to figure out why that's happening and address that. So those are the, the things that when it comes to you know, early validation and getting to the next step you need to do. Get something out there. Get feedback from your customers. Watch how the market is reacting to what you're doing. Make whatever adjustments you need to make and then do another iteration. Along that path, you'll find the opportunity to bring in investors. Right. So 
actually, you really have to know your business. You really have to know what you're doing. So is that something that you're looking for when you're investing in a business as an investor? Yeah, actually, this is something uh, Kevin O'Leary uh, will say a lot you know, from Shark Tank, is know your numbers, know your business. Um, if you come to me and you don't know the size of your market, if you don't know who your target customer is, if you don't know how much money it's going to take to get you to your first product or what does it cost to acquire a customer or what your expected you know, revenue is or how many people you need in your customer support group to support you know, the, the size of the, the customers you expect, who's your competition, where are they focused, what are they spending money on? What are the things that you're going to do that are not only different, but superior to that, that's going to cause you to take market share away from those other people? You, you need to know your business extremely well before you start talking to investors. Because if I get more than a few, I don't knows, or I need to get back to you, I generally stop the conversation and say, look, go learn your business and then come back and we'll have a conversation. So that's critical. I, I of all the things you can do before approaching the investment community, knowing your your markets, how your product's going to fit, how you're going to do what you're going to do, and knowing your your key performance indicators and the various other aspects of the the financial modeling and other aspects of the business is critical to convincing an investor that I should trust you with my money. All right. So we have to know your business. Um, Quite often, you know, startup founders are either people that are non-technical and technical. So, you know, a technical person might know their product really, really, you know, in depth, but doesn't know really, how, you know, how to launch that product. Then again, you have non-technical people who might have a great idea, but, you know, don't really know how to, how to, you know, put the product together. So the question might be, you know, what are the differences between non-technical and technical founders? You know, what are their skills and traits? You know, what can they learn from each other and, and so on? Okay. So, yeah. So you're raising a good point there. Um, in general, no single individual is going to have the skill set necessary to launch an entire venture. I always say that building companies, building ventures is a team sport. It does require people who have technical skill, people who understand markets, people understand how to sell, uh, people who understand how to model financials and how to manage money, and, and even the administrative and, and operational uh, components uh, need to be addressed. It's hard in a startup to do that because it's difficult to get an entire team together early. I mean, honestly, you, you're talking about four or five people really before you have all of those areas well addressed. Um, in many cases, you know, companies simply can't do that. My recommendation in those cases, if you have a, a founder who's highly technical, but doesn't have the necessary sales marketing and other experience and cannot find a co-founder, there are groups out there that can help. There are uh, marketing firms, there are sales firms, there are advisory companies. Uh, another option is to uh, apply to an incubator or an accelerator where you can get help from uh, you know, other people that have done things before and can help you along with your venture. If you're a uh, sales or marketing type and uh, have an idea for a product, a software product, but don't have the technical skills and don't know how to develop it, there are companies out there that can do that for you. 
and seeking out, you know, a good software development group to, you know, to join you on the venture, at least to get through the initial product development is another option you might have. Right. So look for help, you know, because if you try to do everything yourself, it's probably not going to be good. You know, it's not going to be successful. It's, it's impossible. I, I honestly don't think that, a, you know, a single individual uh, can succeed at a, at a venture on their own. It's, it's rare that it does happen. I am familiar with some cases. Those tend to be what are called entrepreneurs, people that are working at a company that come up with an idea that the company decides they don't specifically want to pursue, but they give that individual the opportunity to work on that particular you know, product or service. And then that, that may get spun out into a separate entity. Well aware of a, a case in my own history where a fellow with a very small team working inside a company was capable of, of building a, a, a small group and in a very short order, got out with a hundred million dollar exit. Wow. That, that, that's quite a lot. It, uh, it is. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So, I mean, startups, you know, when they, when they develop their product, they're quite, you know, inexperienced. What are the, some of the mistakes that they make, you know, when, when they're just starting, you know, what, what would your advice be, you know, focus on this so you can, you just get a good product on the market. Yeah. I mean, one of the biggest problems I see is people, they spend too much time, way too much time uh, enhancing and refining and changing and tuning and trying to build something that they think is perfect for the market. Don't do that. There is no way you know exactly what the market wants and needs in the terms of you know features and functionality. Um, what you need to do is get a very minimal core product together that addresses, you know, the needs or the opportunity and get that in, into the market and talk to your customers, find out what they like and what they don't like, find out what they, they think is missing or what, what the product is doing that they don't feel aligns well with what they want and address those issues. Um, quick sidebar on that is be careful not to just do what your customers tell you or what they ask for. Consider that information to be used to, as input to your own thoughts and your own ideas on how to address a problem. Uh, it's an old saying, I think it's accredited to um, Henry Ford who said, if I asked my customers what they wanted, they would have told me they wanted faster horses. Okay. Yeah. Rely on the customers for getting a description of the problem that they're experiencing. Don't count on them to tell you how to solve it. You as the entrepreneur, the creative force behind the product or service, you figure out how to solve it. That's, that's critical. Uh, absolutely critical because your customers can lead you astray. You know, they can, they can lead you off the path that you should be on. So you need to consider them as a source of information, but not direction. Yeah. Because sometimes, you know, I mean, customers don't know what they need. So. You know, they just might lead you to completely wrong direction, you know, and just the product might fail. Yeah. Customers know they have a need, but they may not know how to solve that because they don't have all the information. They don't know what's technically possible. They don't know what other customers are asking for. They don't know what else is going on in the market um, or in other aspects of the business that it will affect how you decide to solve their problem. Count on them to give you a good idea what the problem is, but don't count on them to hand you a solution. You need to figure that out. And you need to ask as many customers as you can. 
you know, five or 10 is not enough. 30, 50, 100 is the numbers you really need to get to before you can say, okay, a pattern is emerging here. Uh, otherwise, you get, you know, individual, perhaps even quirky needs that, that people are trying to solve that is unique to that particular individual or that particular situation. And it's not to say that there won't be others out there that have that unique problem or need, but it very much narrows the market that you can go after, which is not what you want to necessarily do early on. You want to make sure you have something that addresses a, a large enough segment of your, your customer base that the general group of customers are willing to adopt and try whatever it is that you're doing, whatever service or product you've created. The best thing, as I said, build the minimum thing that you, you need to to get the product or service out there. And then once it's been in the hands of the customers for a little while, start having conversation with them about what's good, what's bad, what do they like, what don't they like, what's missing, what are they not using, and what you've already built. Okay. So let's say, you know, a founder has an idea, uh, did the market research and everything else, has a business plan. You, you've been through a lot of uh, pitches. So what are the, some of the mistakes you know, that investors, I mean, not investors, founders make you know, when they're pitching to an angel investor? Well, uh, there's a lot of them. Uh, like I said, the primary one, which everyone should concentrate on, is know your business, know your numbers, know your team, know your market, know what your customers are looking for, have a good, broad, and deep understanding of what it is that you're attempting to do. Um, some of it, I mean, there's lots of issues. Uh, I can give you some examples. Maybe that would be helpful. Uh, we had a, during COVID, we had a company come to us that had an idea for a, uh, a home workstation that during the day would be a attractive place to work, but in the evenings could be folded up into a, a what looked like an attractive piece of, of furniture that wouldn't, uh, you know, clutter your apartment or your home. It was a wonderful idea. The prototypes were fantastic. What we discovered though, was it couldn't be built, uh, inexpensively enough for it to be marketed on the, the open market at a price that people would pay for it. And we were able to find that out without going, you know, through the process of actually building products and taking them to market. Um, you know, we put together what looked like perfectly, you know, complete market and sales literature and got that out in the market with pricing on it. And we discovered very, very quickly that there was no way we could build the type of product we wanted to build and price it in such a way that the company could make money. Uh, so that, that was an example of, you know, an early, early failure. They did not do that work before they came to us. Uh, and that was one of the things we helped them with. Uh, other things are just, you know, what I call magical thinking, uh, that just by the existence of the product, somehow people are going to find it and use it and pay for it. And that there's no need to promote or market it because everyone is just going to find it and love it. That doesn't happen. It never happens. Uh, so, uh, unrealistic expectations of how rapidly, uh, they can develop a piece of software is another thing. Uh, I I've seen estimates sometimes a 10th, maybe even a, a, a few percentage points of what the actual cost of development will be. Once again, it's lack of knowing your business. It's lack of homework. They didn't look into what they, th you know, the actual costs would be of doing what they want to do. They just took a guess. Guessing is never good in this game. Uh, if you're taking a guess, you should stop, do your homework, 
research, you know, the issue and get some good information to make a decision on. Guessing is not the way to build a, a venture. And I, I do see a lot of that as well. Um, and the other thing is, is, is quite frankly, incomplete information and presentation. Uh, you know, they, they, they don't know their market size. Um, they, they don't know how to talk about the use of proceeds of funds. Um, you know, various other things that you should know in advance before approaching an investor are missing. So when it comes to mistakes in, in approaching an investor, that's the big one, is not having done the necessary prep work and producing a piece of, you know, material, a pitch deck or a short one or two page plan that has sufficiently researched and well presented information so that I can look at it quickly and say, okay, this sounds good. They seem to know what they're doing. I need to talk to these people. Right. Have you ever had a case? I mean, you probably had, uh, where a startup founder was a little bit, you know, too confident, overconfident is in his product. <laughs> that that's a common that's a common thing. Uh, you know, this is this is a, a there's a delicate balance there between confidence and overconfidence. Um, you definitely want someone who's who's confident in what they're doing, who's dedicated to what they're doing, who believes they're going to succeed despite the fact that the odds are against them. What you do not want is someone who has an overinflated opinion of themselves or a massive ego. Um, that tends to, to create blind spots for them. They don't see reality. They don't see the things that are going wrong. They don't see the fact that there isn't a good you know, product market fit or that the, the cost of doing what they're going to do is going to exceed the value it's going to deliver in the market um, or that the market size is much, much smaller than they believe. Um, there's this... Probably the best way to describe it is a confident person takes in the information from the world around them. They see it for what it is. They think about it carefully and draw the necessary conclusions and make their plans based on reality, while things really are. The, the person who has the overinflated ego, who, who has, you know, is overconfident, goes the other way. They take their thoughts and what they believe to be true and try to project that onto the world. And that doesn't work. Um, the world is going to respond the way the world is going to respond. So the better off, the, the person who's better off is the person who understands what's really going on, what, what reality is, and then makes their plans in reality. Those that make their plans in a fantasy world will execute against their fantasy model, but the real world will not respond the way their, their fantasy model is, and they won't understand why their, their plan is not working. That's a problem. So that's one of the things I look for when I talk to someone. They truly understand the reality of their situation. And I, I, I would say that one out of five, maybe, that come to me are that type that um, have not taken the, the necessary steps to truly understand the reality of, of their situation and what they should be doing to succeed. They have guessed, they have projected, they have you know, their own perception of what's out there and they make their plans around that. That's a mistake. And that, that is someone that I'll, I'll quickly back away from when it comes to making an investment. Okay, Chris, we covered quite a lot today. So what would be your closing thoughts, you know, regarding everything we talked talk about today? 
Well, I, you know, when it comes to, you know, raising a round of money, your first round of money for any venture, I mean, the important things are, as I said, understand the best of your ability, what you're doing and, and what um, the market is looking for and how your product will fit to that market. Uh, make your plans not only for the next year or two, but all the way through to the exit of the company. Make sure you know your business well before you approach an investor. Um, not sure what else beyond that I could add. If you've got some more questions, I'd be happy to do that. But that's the primary thing I would advise anyone to do is, is know your market, know your customer, know what you intend to do and how you're going to do it and what you're going to need to achieve those results in terms of people, time, and capital. Right. So be prepared. Don't rush things and just know your business. Yeah, it's, it's far more important that you, you do thorough quality work than do the work quickly. Now, time is important. You know, all, all opportunities have a shelf life. But if you jump into something before you're well-prepared, um, you know, your chances of failure go up quite a bit. Um, and, and if it's the first time, if you're a first-time entrepreneur, it's the first time you're doing it, and the people on your team are also first-timers, you really need to seek out advice. Uh, I'd strongly recommend getting involved with an incubator or accelerator. Or, you know, even if you don't do that, go work at a co-working location where there are other people working on other startups. You'll learn a lot from other people. Um, you know, that that's definitely something that uh, I'd recommend. Uh, and if you can, find someone who's been to a startup before. Whether it's successful or a failure, doesn't matter. You just want people that have the experience. And if you can add them to your team, you'll avoid making some of the mistakes that many, many first-time startup founders do. So it, it's really important for startup founders to network, just to expand their network because it's easier if you know more people than you know if you're all by yourself. Absolutely. People are resources. Their experience, their knowledge, their, their connections are all resources you can utilize to improve the chances of your success. They can help you find other people to join your team. They can make introductions to uh, customers and strategic partners. They can talk about their own experiences and potentially save you from making a mistake that they themselves have made in, in the past. Uh, surrounding yourself with people in a variety of, of industries and a variety of levels of experience uh, that have uh, their own networks is highly valuable, if not even essential to succeeding as a startup entrepreneur. Okay, Chris, thank you very much. Uh, thank you for being on the roadmap. And I hope, you know, you'll come again so that we can, you know, explore more subjects and just try to help uh, both investors and, you know, uh, startups, you know, in developing their product. All right, terrific. Well, thanks for having me.